and welcome to Sports Best Friends Stories, a podcast that is officially speaking with officials. I am Big T and sitting patiently across from me today is a man who has officiated over 200 first grade games. He has been involved in State of Origin, World Cup, Four Nations, All-Stars, Auckland Nines and a number of other international fixtures. He is a host of the podcast View from the Middle, interviewing referees and umpires from all different sports. But most importantly, he loves a bad pun, so he'll feel right at home here. Please welcome Grant Atkins. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, I've been speaking to you for a few minutes and you haven't done any dad jokes. I have, no, not yet. Not yet. You're just warming up, just getting a feel for the audience before you launch. Okay. <laughs> I'll see how many get cut. <laughs> Zero, I can tell you already. Uh, now, you studied media production and advertising with a sub-major of social psychology and social research at uni. Is that because you knew you were later going to be selling hard calls to people who really didn't want to hear them? <laughs> no, not originally. Uh, I was actually grew up in the Blue Mountains and got into uh, sports physiology, I think it was at the time, oh, exercise science at Australian Catholic University in North Sydney, but Springwood to North Sydney is a very, very long way. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't that willing to, to jump on a train every day. Yeah. So end up taking second round offer um, just through what was UWS at the time and um, thought I'll get into communications and, yeah, started that there. And once I sort of finished that after three years, I was only young at the time, um, 2020, I think I'd just finished, mm-hmm. and uh, then thought, oh, you know what, the family of teachers seems like a family uh, business, so I'll um, jump into teaching for another year yeah. and uh, knocked over a Bachelor of Teaching that following year and then, yeah, became a teacher. And so that's how sought after you were after high school, that you had more than one university offer. Because I was begging universities to take me and <laughs> making choices on, well, I don't want to catch a train for that long. What, what else have I got on this offers list? That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed school. Um, dad was, as I said, his dad was a teacher and, and dad was a teacher. And just education became a really important thing as a kid. Right. Um, and, we, and we put a lot of time and effort into that. And yeah, I, I still value it now with, with my kids. And I yeah. think it's a really important part of your life growing up and it leads you to a lot of other things later in life. Yeah. And do you still do much of it now? Teaching. No, no, like just learning yourself. Like oh, yeah. Stuff. So in 2013, when I went full-time with the NRL, yeah. um, I get pretty bored <laughs> easy, easily, right? Right, okay. Uh, and I was sitting on planes and in hotels traveling with, with the NRL and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go back and do my master's. Okay, right. So after teaching for nine years, I went back and – and from 13 to 16, did my master's in communications. Wow. Uh, just because I thought footy's going to finish again. Uh, I'm not sure that I want to go back to teaching. Uh, it kind of changed in the nine years that I was there. Right. And I'd like to get into broadcasting and, or media uh, once footy's finished because yeah, right. hopefully that'll open some some doors. And I thought oh, I'll back it up with a bit of more, a bit more tertiary education. And yeah. I'm probably at the point now where I was looking at doing something else, but as you know, university becomes a very expensive mm. um, hobby, so uh, I'll probably just leave it where it is at the moment. And what from that communication degree could you take and put into referring? Uh, a lot of it had to do around – well, I actually think I was a better student as when I went back in 2013 right. than when I was as a, an undergraduate student. Because you're differently motivated? Uh, yeah, and I think you're more worldly. Yeah, right. And, and the other thing is when you, you do a master's, you've only got eight subjects to okay. complete the master's, and I did that over three years. So you need to tell us because I don't. I haven't done a master's, and and a thousand people. I mean, the people who listen, there's not a thousand. All four of us who would listen, you know, won't have done a master's degree. So okay, there's eight subjects. Yeah. 
So there was eight subjects compared to undergraduate degree, which I think was 24 right, okay. over three years. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, because it was through open universities, it was self-paced. So I was yeah. just doing one a trimester. So yeah, three a year. Um, and so it made just a quite an easy thing to do yeah. while, whilst I was traveling. And yeah, I was literally sitting on planes highlighting yeah, um, wow. stuff. And so have you told many of your other refereeing friends then you should be getting onto this? Like this is a great way to spend your time? Yeah. Oh, like I talked to a few of them about going on and becoming further educated. Yeah. Um, but I also know that education's and further education is not for everyone. Mm. Um, I know that a lot of guys are in the squad of some of are in the police force um, or have come from um, trades and things like that. And, right. and I know through the probably through the teaching side of things yeah. that, University is not for everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. It might be a TAFE course and things like that, but there's also the, the time management factor, and I think in the time that I've been at the NRL, we're probably more busy now than, than what we ever have been in terms of training and stuff, so wow. that limits that time. Okay. Well, I have a follow-up question about that later, but I'm going to stick with the high school stuff here. So what are some of the similarities you can see between being – because you're an HSIE teacher, mm. right? What yeah. are some of the similarities you can see there between what you had to do while teaching to what you're doing now? Oh, uh, I think – a lot of it is probably confidence. Yeah, like, right. I, when I first started teaching, I, 2004, I think it was, I was 22, uh, that was full-time, and I, I did year 12 class straight away, and there's yeah, kids, right. kids in there that were 18. Yeah. And so you had to pretty much make them think that you knew more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, you probably did, but effectively they've got to believe that you're that source of mm. information and probably a source of authority without – Without being a jerk about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. right? They are. Uh, they need to believe in you that and have faith in you that you're going to deliver the best results for them. That sounds like you just described a good referee as well. Yeah, oh, they got to believe in your that you got to put on an authority without being an asshole, and they've mm. got to believe that you're going to try and get the best possible outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are a lot of players that are at, at high school age as well. Are there any that you can see refereeing now? Any of those players that would be a good referee? Uh Oh, all of them probably could. Um, uh, not could. Any that would be good at it, you think? Oh. <laughs> Look at that. Huh? You know what? It actually takes a really special person to be a referee. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is that you end up with, yeah, there's that level of resilience. Uh, and right. it's not a, like there's resilience about getting a knock all the time about your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've always said that the NRL are full of referees that never gave up. Yeah. Right. And I started in 1997. Uh, so I was in year 10, and I, there's so many Sundays that I would come home and said, as a junior referee, and said, I'm not doing it again. Yeah. There's no way. I'm not going back next weekend. And what are the, what's causing that usually? Uh, oh, it can be anything. Yeah. It, it's a really isolating part yeah. of the sport. Yeah. Uh, and the, the difficulty is, right, so if you start at 15 as a kid, like that's the first year you're trying something brand new. Mm. So if you think about junior um, rugby league players that are six or seven, you probably cut them slack, cut them a bit of slack until they're nine, right? Because they've been trying that skill set for three years. Right. Whereas parents that turn up to an under sixes game oh, and there's right. a fifteen year old kid refereeing, they have mm. a fifteen year old kid, they expect a lot. But that kid could have been undertaking something brand new for the first time ever right. for three weeks. Mm. Uh, and there's a higher expectation on officials to be better than what they are. Yeah, right. And that's that's at all levels, but particularly at junior levels. And that's hard for kids, right? Mm. If you think about, and we go back to the teaching thing, like boys and girls, particularly boys at 15 and 16, like they're mentally fragile yeah. at that age. 
and you look at it now with statistics around mental health and things like that, and they go into a, a hobby that's really isolating. You're the only one out there. Yeah. You don't have teammates. Yeah. It's not like you can go and if, if you drop the ball or you make a mistake, teammates will pick you up and support you. Yeah. You're a referee out there in front of adults mm. expecting the world of you. And that's that's a really difficult part of the game that I don't know if it's been sort of addressed as well as yeah. it probably could yeah. um, because it's a really hard thing to address too. And and if a kid doesn't enjoy it, it's easy just to give it up. Yeah. And so the other thing the, about that is at the very other end, you guys now have a lot of in-game support, or, mm. and, you know, with, you've got excellent communications and your match day official and things like that. And that's something that's being often ridiculed, mm. you know, that you have too much. And yet what you're saying there is almost that we need to, particularly at a younger stage, have someone supporting or in your ear or this is a good call, that's your 10's great or whatever. Yeah. And so it's the opposite almost of what the popular media at the moment is trying to say. Yeah. They're trying to keep them isolated again and really what we need to do is make sure that everyone's. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. And, and, it's, and it, that's an easy thing. For people to be critical of at the NRL level, yeah, um, and that's because that, and I'm not going to be critical of their opinions because there's probably just a degree of, uh, well, I'll say ignorance or nostalgia. If uh, we want to be polite to them, maybe yeah, they yeah. think before it was better or whatever. Absolutely, but yeah. we're also at a point now where the game is improved and yeah, technology in terms of uh, the vision that we can capture and. Without all that information, we would be batting way lower than what we are. Mm-hmm. And it, as a junior referee, I think the more that you can have someone out there shadowing them, yeah. um, the better. I know Penrith Junior League for a, for a little while, uh, the referees are in their first year actually wore a different color jersey, oh, okay. and it was promoted that pretty much they were like on their learners' plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, back off these kids. Like they're doing their best in their first year. Did it? Did, was it successful? Did they uh, keep it on? I think to some degree it was. Yeah. But then it also became that some of those kids are like, well, hang on, I just want to be like the other referees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to be targeted. Yeah. Targeted like that. And it's probably when you, if you remember, when you're driving with your pee plates on, yeah. you sort of took your pee plates <laughs> off because <laughs> yeah. you want to be a pee plate. Behave um, yeah. But look, there's probably a, a middle ground in between what was done there and, and what's done now and. I'm, I'm sure that eventually we'll find a way to, to keep people in the sport. But I think as a sport, rugby league, we do need to, to grow up. I know mm. Todd spoke about, used that phrase a while ago, but yeah. we do. Like it's a culture of blame um, within our sport. Yep. I played rugby union at school um, and and I played suburban rugby up to 2005 and it just wasn't like that with officials. Really? No. Uh, and it, it's just Culturally, I don't, yeah. I don't know why. Um, yeah. I mean, oh, actually, I take that back. I reckon I do know why. Because in rugby league, compared to other sports, you control the tempo of the game right. and the spatial distance in the game. Mm-hmm. So if you look at tennis, you don't control the spatial distance. That's specified by the court. Yep. Um, basketball, guys get right up in each other's face, yep. right? And they're entitled to. Yeah. They can also slow the game to whatever... The yeah, speed yeah. they want. Yeah. If you're in cricket's the same. Cricket's marked out by your 22 yards or whatever it is yeah. for the the crease. Whereas in rugby league, the speed of the ruck is determined by the referee and yeah. his standards, right? So that determines the pace of the game, and your distance in your 10 meters determines how far they are apart. And whether it's you're at nine meters or 11 and a half, that makes a massive difference mm. on the outcome of the game. So that's on us. 
and that I don't think that happens in any other sport. Yeah, right. So we actually do have a really big influence. Yeah. On how the game presents compared to other sports. Yeah, and so because of that, you should almost be lauded. Not well, maligned. Yeah. Well, you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. People people think that once they sort of pay their their entry free, yeah. they're entitled to say what they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the, the massive impact that you guys have. So what kept you then? If you, you're coming home most Sundays, you've explained why yep. someone at 15 is feeling like that. What, how how do we have then a team, as you said, of NRL referees who just kept going? Oh, because effectively you love the game. Yeah. Um, like well, I, I always love the game. Yeah. Uh, as, you, as we've sort of spoken about before, I grew up in a family that was had rugby league in its veins and mm. – I always wanted to play in the NRL, like every kid does when they first start playing. And right. it was only that I didn't like a coach one year at the club I was playing at, and I said, well, I don't want to play next year, um, wow. but I'll, I'll just referee. I didn't have a job at the time, so I was in year 10, so I was just going to work on a weekend with footy. Yeah. And then I think we got like $1,000 at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was four savings. Um, and then you sort of go, you know what, this is pretty good. Uh, one, I'm not getting hurt. Yeah. I wasn't training as much. And I thought, you know what? I reckon if if I can make it in this, I might uh might be doing it for a fair fair amount of time. Yeah. And then if everyone at the NRL, like all the NRL referees, are great guys. Right. Right. And they they really they love the sport and they love what they do. Yeah. And yeah, there are hard times, and it's like it's really hard um, to, if you go poorly. And it, I reckon that. The guys that are at the NRL level are there because they are probably their harshest critic. Right. And that's why they get better. Yeah. So effectively, if they make an error or have a poor game, most of them, if they could referee the next day to make up for it and to prove that they're better than that, they would. Yeah, isn't that wow? So the biggest thing is waiting for your appointment for the next week. <laughs> right, right, right. To say, well, I'm going to go out and, and do it again. Yeah. And you talked before about resilience as well. Is that something that... Uh, your family also has to have, or, or referees' families need to have, because of all the the public scrutiny. Yeah, and I think that takes a a fair amount of maturity um, from your family and your friends. And look, it's not even that they. My family don't sort of watch the footy anyway. Um, Anymore, really? No, no. Dad doesn't. He's not that interested in it. He's <laughs> sort of just. He always did it as a hobby, um, and he was he was just teaching, and he was in really just good teams. Very good at it, yeah. Okay. Right? And he he was in really good teams and. It just sort of played out the way it did. That's so funny because so many other. There's no way people would say, "Oh, I was, I was okay." To I just happened to be in a great team, but that's. Oh, he says that all the time. Really? He, he. So my grandfather's passed away now. Dad was one of three brothers. He said Dad was probably the least talented of the lot. Your grandfather was saying that. Yep. Yeah. And and he was quite a good judge. He said what what happened was, he guess he was good, right? Yeah. But he said he played in junior teams that were winning. Right. And he goes, and when you're winning, you get picked for episodes. Yeah, right. But then like, you do talk to other people that played with, with Dad, and they always sort of say how, how what a great player he was and that right. he was underrated. Um, but in Dad effectively. Underrated by your grandfather. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, he said that Dad said, he goes, well, you played outside Mick Cronin. He goes, you didn't have to do much. Right. He goes, it sort of went Sterling, Kenny, Cronin, him, if it went to that right edge. Right. He said, if you were in the right spot, you just score a try. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. and he, but, he, yeah, he played in good sides. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, going back to the question, there's a fair amount of maturity that comes with that resilience. Mm-hmm. And I think, one, there's maturity in not seeking 
any uh, criticism or, or reading the papers and things like right. that. Or if you do hear it, knowing not to ring your son and say, yeah. hey, did you see what so-and-so said about you? Yeah, right. Or Channel 9 were in here last night. The, yeah. that, you're going to hear it through different sources. The last thing you need is a phone call from your parents or your uncle or yeah. someone ringing saying, oh, you got hammered on NRL 360 last yeah. night. Then <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, there's maturity there. And I think I'd like to think the family are pretty um, smart about that yeah. kind of thing. Okay, well, let's, let's think about you running. I think your first... Um, NRL game in the middle was in 2011. What do you remember from that game? Well, I remember it was the same night as the Brookvale brawl, so, <laughs> but I wasn't at Brookvale. <laughs> I think yeah. everyone remember that night. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was at Paris Stadium, yeah. um, Parramatta and the Roosters, which was a really nice touch. Right, I right. was disappointed because a couple of other guys who came in, in the NRL at the same time as me had got um, got to go a few weeks earlier. And I was sort of running out of time. I think it was around 25 that year. Oh, okay, right. Um, so Adam G and David Munro debuted, yeah, I think the weeks earlier. I actually had to run Dave Munro's line. One of, It was a Monday night game yeah. at Shark Park. I think David Mead takes like a spectacular pick up off a kick. And Anyway, so eventually I got the game. I remember when Bill Harrigan come down and sort of said, congratulations, you're getting a run this week. Um, and it was nice. It was Paramount and the Roosters, and Dad had played for both clubs. Yeah, wow. Which was real, and he was he'd been at the reunion that day, so he came presented with a jersey and oh my god, and all and they had a, like a guard of honor because it was their last home game, and so you sort of run out in front of people that you grew up with. Wow, um, which which was kind of uncanny, and yeah, we ended up. I did the game with Jason Robinson actually, um, and Jason had been a referee in Penrith. So when I first started, Jason was refereeing A grade, and I remember watching him, and he he debuted and. I remember thinking to myself, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. And eventually 2011 rolls around and I do the game with Jason and Dad actually taught Jason at Patrician Brothers. Black no, Channel. this yeah. is crazy. It's like someone thought, what could be the best <laughs> way to, to get you to debut? Yep. We'll set all of this up. We'll set it all up. If this was a movie, the, the producer at one stage would have said, this is probably enough. We could stop. And someone's gone, no, we'll pile more yeah. um, things that he needs to have in, in this game. Well, I, and I had never – I'd run 60 or so first-grade lines. Uh, yeah, probably 60. Uh, up to that point, yeah, never had golden point game. <laughs> I know it's probably about, yeah fifty lines, and then that went to golden point that game actually. Right, and it was in back then there wasn't the lead referee; it was just you two going to do your best. Yeah, and so Robbo said, "He goes, you referee golden point." <laughs> Off you go, yeah. first game, and we did it, and we did it fine. Yeah, um, and like I said, no one watched because everyone watched the Brookvale game, okay. <laughs> the game, uh, the brawl there between Melbourne and yeah, yeah, yeah. and Manly, and, but yeah. Yeah, and then it was 50 – I was still part-time at that stage. Um, and then it was 53 weeks later, I did my second game. Oh, wow. So that was a long wait. Um, that was Nathan Highmarsh and Luke Burt's final game. I think <laughs> Another Parramatta game. Parra and St. George, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, and that was in front of 40-something thousand. So Far out. That was – yeah, that was – then I went full-time at the end of that year and – End up doing five games in 2013. Okay. So I think I was at seven by the start of 14, and now it's 200 and, oh, yeah. including touchlines, about 260 or something. Wow. Mm. What's your first memory of rugby league? That's your first one ref- um, refereeing in the middle. What's your uh, first actual memory of rugby league? There's a couple. I remember we still train at Lincoln Oval every now and then, and uh, I remember going to Lincoln Oval with Dad. Okay. Uh, I was a kid, and I remember uh, it was actually the, the magpie. Um, lost his foot, like the, <laughs> the costume lost his foot. Um, that, I was horrified because I thought they were oh, real. It was real, right? oh no. And the same thing happened at Brookvale and 
uh, his head fell off. <laughs> the eagle's head fell off. And twice I was shattered, right? Yeah, yeah I was yeah. like, this is devastating. So I remember that. And then I also remember. Um, How old would you have been when that happened? Oh, four. Okay, right. Four or five. So yeah. I remember sitting in Parramatta Stadium as a kid and dad would go to training on a weekend. Um, just things like that. Yeah. Not, not too much, but it was probably like my, my kids now, they don't sort of pay too much attention. Yeah, it's to happening. My, and-, and you know what? It was just what dad did. Yeah. So people would, I'd go to school and I had teachers at school who would talk about, um, oh, your dad on the weekend and this and as a kid, but you didn't know any different because that's just what dad did. Yeah, right. It wasn't anything spectacular or I didn't think it was famous or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rugby league wasn't like a... It was just kind of a normal thing that was happening in in your in your life. It wasn't there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so, was it quite normal then that you just it continued in your life? Yeah. Well, I just enjoyed the game. Yeah. Um, I actually enjoyed rugby union as yeah. at school. Uh, I went to Catholic school up up in the Blue Mountains, and we had a couple of staff there that were into rugby union. And so, I actually enjoyed that a lot. I actually enjoyed it more than league for a period of time, mm-hmm. um, just because it was a different skill set. Yep. Um, Culturally, culturally, it was a little bit different. Yeah, uh, and I just enjoyed enjoyed that as a sport. Have you tried refereeing it? Yep. That's yeah, way I did. Way more challenging. Yeah, but it doesn't matter in rugby if you get it wrong. Ah, uh, right. If you watch the Rugby World Cup now, yeah, there's there's blow ups, but people move on. Yeah, and right. like, and that's a sport that's decided by penalty goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, they kick right. goals, they'll kick a whole team will score. Four tries, the other team will kick more penalty goals and win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no one seems to to Fire care up. too much. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things. Did you have a team that you followed growing up then, or was it just whoever Dad was playing no, for? Or I don't know. I didn't even do that. Just no. it was just on, kind of in and around you. It wasn't even. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember, like, even after Dad had retired. I'd sort of watch uh, Saturday afternoon ABC, like they had yeah. Warren Boland and Arthur Beats and sort of commentating Saturday footy. And I didn't, you know, I'd just watch any footy at that stage. Yeah. It didn't worry me. And it seemed like the Roosters and West teams like that were on all the time. So it didn't, <laughs> okay. didn't worry me. I'd just watch any kind of sport. Okay. And then you've got a, you've, speaking of any time of sport, you've got a podcast, um, View from the Middle, focusing on sport from the perspective of officials. What's the biggest reoccurring theme that resonates across those sports? Oh, I think all of the people that I've spoken to love the sport, mm-hmm. like deep down, and, they, and then they love what they do. Um, I think what we do realise is that at the NRL level, we, there is significant uh, amount of funding that goes into right, and then the level of professionalism that we have at the NRL level is really high. Wow. Okay. Um, but with that probably comes that greater scrutiny as well. Um, there's there's a fair bit of anonymity in a lot of the other sports. Uh, um, if you if you were to go down and sort of go into the city and you come across a test umpire, you probably yeah. outside of about three or four of them, you wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't know any different. Yeah, yeah. Um, or same with rugby union. If the test referees out of the World Cup would all be in Darling Harbour, <laughs> you probably <laughs> no. you wouldn't know. Causing a mark, yeah. It's not going to be in the papers. No. Yeah. No. So, yeah, but they all they all love their sport and they, they probably all take their performances um, really seriously and wear their heart on their sleeve with how they perform. Yeah. Um, people think your referees walk off and the fan might think they've ruined the game. They know deep down 
whether they've refereed well or not. Yeah, right. And they are their harshest critic. Mm. You have to be because if you're not, well, you don't get better next week. And that's the difficult thing. We don't have a win. Mm. Right? Clubs have a win um, and teams have wins and losses. Mm. You don't ever really get that feeling. All you get is a feeling of, well, I did that well or I did that poorly and I want to be better next week. Yeah, that's your right. motivation. Your motivation is to be better next week. Mm. There's no trophy to hold up at the end of the season. Is there? I'm sure resilience is another uh, another theme that, um, that you brought up before. But is it also competitiveness? Do a lot of those people have to be competitive to be good at it? Yeah, yeah, you do need to be. Yeah, um, but it's hard in refereeing because it's so subjective. So regardless of how competitive you are, you don't pick what games you do. Right. Um, if you you're ultra competitive as a player, you can win and you can make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. But in our sport or in our hobby, we have people that subjectively decide on your performance mm. and then they will put you into that game. You don't necessarily put, your, you, you don't put yourself into that game. Yeah, yeah. You, you do by yeah, having a good performance, yeah. um, but what you actually do on the field won't necessarily guarantee you that, uh, yeah. that place. And is that, is that hard then in a team? Environment week to week, because because from my understanding as well, sometimes you, you'll have a bad game and that you get dropped, like week to week. That I mean, that doesn't often happen to elite players. So, is that is that challenging each week? Yeah, that's a really challenging thing. Uh, we only find out on a Tuesday where we're going each week. So, if you've performed on a, a Thursday, there's a long time, and you, and you didn't necessarily referee well. There's a long period of time knowing whether or not you're going to be in first grade next week. Yeah, but what, sorry, what I meant was is as a team. I didn't phrase it very well. Yeah. I'm sure it's really hard as a person, but as a team to then go, because you guys all train together and everything. Mm. Like how hard is it to, because when, when you're in your team, your team plays badly or whatever, you're still all together, but you guys are fighting against each yeah, other. Yeah. And yeah. Well, not fighting against each other, but competing for the same spots and you get dropped. Like how, how, do, you, how do you maintain a good cohort? Well, you got to... Everyone's been in the position where they've been dropped okay. and they know how terrible it feels. Yeah, right. So what happens is if someone goes poorly on a weekend or like a pairing, you, you feel for them. Right. right? And, and you do get around them and guys are really supportive. And I reckon that's an area that we've grown in the last few years. Okay. Uh, I thought Michael Maguire, when he was with us last year, he was really big on creating that really? team thing. And what effectively happens is if you're refereeing on a Thursday, the referees that referee on a Thursday or Friday night, if they go poorly, it affects the rest yeah, of the weekend right. because the discussion mm-hmm. amongst all broadcasting for the weekend becomes about how poorly they refereed Thursday and Friday night. Right. So then all referees for the next five games are under the pump. Right. Um, because if one – we just become a group of referees. Right. So they go, the referees are terrible. The referees were terrible on Friday. Yeah, or Thursday or Friday is, night. Yeah. The referees system is broken. Yeah. Whereas guys can referee – perfectly fine for the next five games, mm. but it doesn't matter. There's all of a sudden this extra scrutiny on them. Yeah, right. If a club performs poorly on a Thursday, by Saturday, Super Saturday rolls around and three games straight, everyone's forgotten what yeah. happened to the team that played poorly on Thursday night. Right. They, they'll know it themselves yeah. and their fans. Yeah. But the media stopped talking about them. The yeah. conversation dies pretty quick because other things happen. Yeah. Um, and other games and other results and effectively other something more controversial will happen. <laughs> um, but if, but if, and that's that's one of the added pressures of refereeing early in the week. Right, is starting off the group for the for the wow. rest of the weekend. Yeah, and so that kind of helps you with your group mentality. Then I guess. What did Michael? What was Michael doing that that really changed that? 
What were oh. some of the specific things he did? So we brought in um, a corporate or a group that work with corporate leadership called Leading Teams. Okay. Um, they do a bit of stuff with the Swans and they do it with corporate um, yeah. businesses and things like that. But also, they they came in and spoke. We spoke a lot about general conversations um, and having them with one another. And effectively, it was like face to face stuff where people would sit up the front and we told each other what we thought they did poorly. And what they could do better. Far out. And like that was confronting, right? For sure. Like really confronting because you haven't generally hadn't heard that. Mm. And then. And it's in a room with everyone. Yeah, we sat it sitting in our theatre yeah. and just sat at the front. Wow. Because also the publicness of that is also, I mean, not only hearing it once, but hearing it with all those people also listening. Yep. And that was, that was only one part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. But we also sat down in uh, Wollongong, went to Wollongong for, the, we had sort of two preseason camps. First one was in Wollongong. We sat down and said, well, who are we? And what what are our values? What are we going to stand for? And, and all those kind of things. And we did the same thing. We went away to Armidale. Uh, and it was about really looking back at what we do. And it's a really difficult um, job to have because you don't – you're in a team, right? You're in a team environment. You said that yeah. earlier. You train every day, like pre-season, like it's every day and you're doing the same sessions and – all those kind of things, and you go on camp and you have those team challenges. Yeah. But effectively, you break into eight different teams over the, the round. Right. And so you, we're, probably, we're probably more like a swim squad or another probably a better analogy is like a Tour de France right. squad, right? Because only one guy, the yellow jersey yeah. winner, is the guy who does the grand final. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't get to wear the yellow jersey or get to the grand final without – his spending team. his team mm. getting to where he is. Yeah, right. But he rides down the Champs-Élysées with his <laughs> yeah, champagne yeah. and all the other guys just ride out the back. Yeah. And that that effectively becomes us at grand final and semi-final time. Wow. Because your, your grand final referees have used all the other officials throughout the year. They've mm. been partners with them. Mm. Um, they've been gym buddies. Yeah. So they've trained with them at times. And they might not have refereed with them, but someone might have spoken to them about, the way they've carried themselves a certain yeah. week that makes them better going forward. But no one no one sees that. Yeah. You just get the grand final referees who get up uh, on the stage at the end, Yeah. whereas the 22 full-timers plus the part-timers, we all sit back and go, I want to be that, yeah. the yellow jersey wearer. Yeah, wow. And so that's a drive. That's yeah. a real drive. Yeah. And because you've, you've had the opportunity to referee those other, those a lot of those other international games and yep. stuff like that, which I'm sure – you know, are excellent things, but the drivers constantly yeah. like players to be at the grand final. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And we and origin wow. probably origins the same. But test football is unreal to be involved in. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of thing. It's a different. It's a different game. Effectively, it's not played. You don't. You don't have the pressures of having to build standards for twenty six weeks that you have got to maintain. Okay. Or twenty five rounds. Um, the players have come together at a shorter notice, so they're interested in just playing. Right. Um, and you don't get sort of bogged down in whatever tactics they might have. Yeah. Uh, and you're also bringing the best from every country together. So the quality's generally pretty oh, good. Yeah. Um, but I've loved test footy. It's like it's it's unreal. I was lucky enough to go away in 2013 um, and run the line for the, the World Cup over there. Yeah. So I did seven tests there. And, like, it took me to places – like I debuted as Australia, England at Cardiff. Wow. I'd never been to Cardiff. Mm. Um, so to do a game 
in the UK with England and, and Australia where sort of you're from. Yeah. Um, and then that was a really enjoyable tournament. We ended up, ended up doing the final at Old Trafford and I hadn't realised what Old Trafford was. Like I'd always heard about it and you'd watch kangaroo tours and things like that and we stayed at Salford. I remember looking over and we went to a Man United game while we were there. Awesome. But it wasn't until we actually went down the tunnel. I'm like, guys, like um, David Beckham have yeah. gone through here. And it was <laughs> yeah. even the week before, I'd, it was probably the best game I'd ever been involved in. It was England and uh, New Zealand in the semi final at Wembley. Um, with New Zealand score on the bell. Right. And that was like amazing. And the same thing, it was kind of like until I watched Bohemian Rhapsody this year and you see that many people. That many yeah. people at Wembley are like, I was out there. Yeah, yeah, wow. Oh, this is cool. We, and we, uh, in London, we would like on a bus and the Queen went past and saw her. <laughs> I'm like, this is never happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a, t- I did France and New Zealand in Avignon. Like Avignon, I never heard of. Yeah. And then next minute, we were having escargot, like yeah. game day yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. what was old Avignon where the priest, where uh, the Pope used to live. And wow. It's like, this is unreal. Yeah. So when you're the 15 year old in Penrith, yeah. now, you know, if you're a 15 year old right now in Penrith and you see, every Sunday you're thinking, should I do it again? Mm-hmm. You're going to eventually get on a bus and go past the Queen. Well, I remember, <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember sending a photo because we went to Wembley the day before the game and did it sort of a look around and whatever. I remember sending a photo to a mate that I used to refer with. I said from, uh, I think I wrote, from Whalem Reserve to right. <laughs> to Wembley. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's sort of come a long way. But, yeah, and, and that doesn't stop. There's, um, yeah, I did that test in Campbelltown last year, the Tonga Samoa. Yeah. And that was, that's grown into its own beast. That's um, been so great. And that was one of those really re- good experiences. Um, but then I just last Friday did, Junior Kangaroos in France, uh, down in Wollongong, and yeah. then I'm off to New Zealand this week. Um, and then Port Moresby, like, to get a PNG, I'm going and get there in a few weeks' time um, for the Kummels and Great Britain. Yeah. Um, have you have you been there before? Yeah. Doing, for rugby league stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've done – this has been my fourth time. Wow. And it's like – it's a unique experience. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> we have beautiful girls here and there eating some snacks. Which is fine, as long as you share. I love Sultanas. Um, let's stay on the on the podcasting thing. I listen to uh, NRL Refs Roundup, and they've been really great at giving fans an understanding of what referees do week to week when they train. You were talking before about over the last nine years, um, or the like, the big changes that have happening in teaching and stuff. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the NRL refereeing in terms of preparation and stuff like that? Uh, well, we've trained harder in the last two. Th- yeah, two, three years. since Why? Probably since Madge came in. And just because he lifted standards or? Yep. Yeah. And a lot of it was about, um, I actually remember I came back from the 2017 World Cup, right? And we're probably a little bit loose around our training at any tournament like that because it's the end of the year and we're based in Brisbane for six weeks. Um, we ended up, did a Sandhill session just before Christmas that year uh, down at Wanda. And I remember it was probably the first time I ever met him. And he just finished coming out of the water. And he said to me, he goes, are you happy with what you got here, right? Looking at me up and down. (laughs) And he wasn't being rude. He's like. It sounds rude in any other context. And you know what? I'll never forget it. And he's like, it wasn't having a crack. He goes, do you reckon that you could be better? Wow. And I'm like, made me think, yeah, you know what? Probably could. Uh, And it's just about making you think, you know what? I probably 
could be better. Right. So then trained really hard. Um, and it was about that old, and I'll never forget that. Yeah. And wow. since then, it was like one of those moments that it's not only about your weight and your, your physical shape, yeah. but for that, for, he goes, if you actually look good, right? He goes, and this is a thing for, for men particularly. He goes, if you stand there and look in the mirror and you know that you're looking fit, you feel better about yourself. Right. And he said, and what happens then is you stand taller and you referee more confidently. And that's all. Yeah. Well, that, like, as much as that conversation seemed a little bit like fat shaming. Yeah, yeah. It was about changing you yeah. as a person to go, you know what? I'll stand there and I'll look, I'll look fitter. Yeah. And I'll feel better about myself and then I'll perform better. Right. Uh, and th- we bought in things and we still have it now where we have agreed, um, agreed weights that we every monday we write our weight on the board in the gym and so we have an agreed officiating weight and a flag weight which is two and a half percent above that and you write either in green or red where if you're in your weight range and so that it keeps everyone accountable publicly um and yeah some people might think it's fat fat shaming but we ended up getting to a point where you're like you know what i don't want to have to write red on there yeah ever and so if you were writing red you had to do extra sessions until you got into the green. Okay. And I remember I was probably the last one that that got down into the green. I remember doing like individual sessions by myself. Yeah. And then I never went back to red. And that was two years ago. Because you look great. At the risk of like making you feel uncomfortable, you look great. If I was Major McGuire, I'd be like, you've done the best you can possibly do. Well, and you know what? It's about little things and it became diet. Right. So that's one thing that's changed. Yeah. I remember there was a period of time where we trained at ANZ across the road at Homebush there's a whole strip of restaurants. Of Everyone used to get what we called the bowl, right? It was like a teriyaki chicken and rice. Guys would go over and get it for lunch and it was terrible. Like, yeah, right. It made you feel gross and everything. But no one does that now yeah, at all. Yeah. In two years, like diets have gone amazingly well. So what I've heard for the last three or four minutes is that the Tigers are going to win the grand final in two years. Is that right? Well, the referees won't ever, but... No, but the Tigers have got Major Maguire as the coach, so... Well, he'll bring some things to the club. Yeah. And that I don't know if other guys have. And I, and I, we're, I, I only had 12 months with, with Madge, um, but he, well, he changed me effectively in that period of time. Wow. Um, as a person. And, and a lot of it became about not even just your footy stuff. It was about he would ask how are the kids, how's mm-hmm. the family, Um and then what that did was all of a sudden you started asking asking questions of other referees as well. Right. Not just, oh, how are you going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It became about, oh, how are the fam- how's the family? How are the kids? Um, some of those questions earlier about study. You yeah. actually became more interested in each other, uh, and which is which became a really strong thing in our group. Yeah, wow. Mm. And, that, and that hadn't happened before. Because so often you hear people talk about culture, particularly around state of origin, or Queensland's got a better culture. And I've never heard anyone actually articulate it changing. And that sounds like that's what happened. Yeah, it did. You changed your culture in your place. Yeah. Yeah, and look, there's there's always room for improvement. Like right. where we we probably would rate ourselves out of 10 a, a certain number now, uh, let, let's say a, a 7 or 8 for culture, whereas when we first started, we probably rated ourselves a 6. Mm-hmm. But if we look at it back now, if we're honest, right. back then we were like a three. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I reckon in the next few years we'll probably still be only a seven because it's relative to where you are yeah. at that time. Yeah. And it, it cha- like it did, it changed It changed the group. And it changed me as a person. And simple things with Magic be about 
talking with your family and your kids and spending time with them and sort of becoming not only a better referee, but just a better person. person yeah, and if you're yeah, a better yeah. person, you end up becoming better at your job. Yeah. The the game you talked about before the 2018, no, 20, was it 18? Yeah, with Tonga and Samoa. Yeah. How do you come down? I mean, that that's the kind of game where people are talking about it still and it's, it's turned into this massive thing. After that game, how do you deal with the adrenaline like it's hard for, to sleep. For hours, yeah. It's hard. Sleep's a really, like, they reckon it's the best form of recovery. It's probably the hardest thing to do after a game. And that, that that's just not limited to that game. Um, I bet, yeah. Because effectively, you, you're probably including warm-up. You run 10Ks in a game. And so at 8 o'clock at night, or let's say you finish at 10, 10 o'clock, you've just run 10 kilometres mm. at night under bright light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that game was loud. Like yeah. the one thing I remember was how loud it was. Right. And so there's the noise. So all the, your, sense, your senses are you're buzzing, right, for a long time. And then if you've gone, if you haven't gone grey, there's there's that stress, right, that adds to it. But there's the order, the sound, right, you get ringing in your ears. And it's really, really hard to come wow. down after games. Um, a lot of we've done, or well, I sometimes use like a meditation app, mm-hmm. which will get you to sleep a bit quicker. Um but that's sort of if you if you feel that you need it, but you just know that like it's just part of the job. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's probably the sensory overload that keeps you awake. Yeah. All those red flags constantly waving everywhere you go, and whistles, yeah. and cheers, <laughs> and everything else. And how does that affect your family then? Uh, uh I'm sure they're asleep by the time I get home. Yeah, okay. Okay. But um, you're not up watching Netflix. You're only going to get the, the no. app on, trying to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And generally, sometimes you come home, we've got a, an app called Game Plan, which so everything that's cut out of the bunker. So all your decisions that go on TV, in the bunker you have access to the 13 cameras for those decisions so that you'll get your decision right or wrong. You'll know because I'll send it to you in like a quad screen yeah. from four different cameras that you never see on broadcast. Yeah, right. So you go home on your iPad and they'll all be on there. So you go through your decisions and... So you do that after the last games? Yeah, because yeah. sometimes you just put stuff to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether Literally not it, and physically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you go, well, you know what, might be in a bit of trouble here or, you know what, decision-making is pretty good. And so does that also then keep you up? You've got the ringing in your ears, all that stuff, and you're also like tomorrow's going to be a challenging day because... Yep. Insert problem here. Yeah, right. Okay, so <clears throat> they're, they're the kind of games that people talk about for years that they, they were at. If we can use a bit of magic here, if you could go back and see any game ever, which would you wish you'd seen? Uh, probably 81 grand final when Dad played. Yeah. Because I was born in 82, right? right? But it was just, uh, yeah, yeah, everyone, like most boys, their dads are their hero. And for him, that was probably the highlight of his career to score the try that put him in front. And yeah. you still see it. It was on Fox yesterday, actually. They replayed it, and I still get goosebumps about it. Do you? Yeah. And uh, just because, yeah, you, you're proud of the man that he is, and it would have been great to be there. And I hear stories about where he scored, actually, in that end. Like, that's where all our family was sitting, right in that corner. God. Yeah, so. Atkins have had some great luck when it's come to, like, big moments. You yeah, know, I know. Him scoring. I know. That was a pretty good one. And, um... Yeah, just things like that. that. Well, that would be the game that yeah. you'd like to be at, particularly no, as an adult or it's yeah. one that you can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'd, I'd go to the 2014 Easter clash between the Tigers and the Eels, another game where you were officiating with the mm. Eels. 
Um, I was at that game, but I'd like to see it again. What what jumps out of you about that? Do you remember that game much? I do. I remember it was a big crowd. I think it was probably the first one of the first big Easter right. Monday games. Mm. I know Jared Hayne had a really good game. I don't know who won. I can tell you who won. That's why I'm going back to watch it. The Tigers won. I'm guessing that they did. Yeah, Luke <laughs> uh, kicked a drop goal. Oh, he did too. To put us in front at that southern end. Yeah, and then um, and Paddy Richards kicked a penalty from the they, we had a penalty from then off the kickoff, and so then to finish the game, Paddy Richards kicks a penalty from the 50 meter line. Yeah, right. And ends the game with it. I can tell you more about it. It was great. Yeah, you, yeah. Should, you should go back and watch. It's funny you don't remember. I don't. You don't remember scores generally. Yeah, right. You just sometimes just remember. Funny things, but not or you don't, Leo, I wouldn't have known who won. Yeah, I'm hopeless like that. Yeah, Jared Hayne did have a great game. You're right. The um, and is it hard then to have? Because I think for fans, it's really hard to think that people don't have bias. They've turned up with a bias. Yeah, is that a, is that one of the most challenging things as a referee to not turn up with a bias, or is it? Oh no. Yeah, really. It's really like particularly since I've been doing it for 22, 23 years now. You don't. You don't care who wins. Right. You, you, and you know what? You do get selfish about your own performance. Right. All you care about is that you refereed well. Yeah. I couldn't care less. Well, that trickles down, right? If you referee well, then the game should go well. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, and some. you know what? Sometimes you referee poorly and no one says anything. <laughs> and th- this is the reality of it, right? Where commentary and broadcast will make a deal out of something and you, you could referee fine, but then they'll make a big deal out of something. Right. There's times when you referee poorly, no one says anything. Right. You could referee poorly on a Saturday 3 o'clock game at Cogra and no one... Yeah, they've got two games after that, so no one cares about the first yeah. game. Yeah, and it depends who's playing in it. Yeah. Um, it depends where they are on the ladder. Yeah. A lot of those things all go into how much criticism occurs. And do you think commentary then and, and well, that side of it is the first thing we would need to fix if we're going to fix the culture around it? Uh, yeah. Possibly, yeah, but people have also that listen to that have just got to start to be a bit more realistic. Yeah, right. But and generally, it's it's like anything, right? You go on TripAdvisor, and the only <laughs> yeah. the only thing that happens on TripAdvisor are people like to give reviews are the ones that want to hammer them. Yeah, and that's like online with rugby league. Most people don't care. They're honestly, they don't. Yeah. They couldn't care less. Um, but it's only you just the loudest voices sometimes. Yeah. Are, the ones that are heard. That's another great analogy because often you see you see people f- scrolling through TripAdvisor, five star, five star, five star. Oh, here's a one, and then they read that negative yeah. one. Why? You've just you've just seen there's a great restaurant. You just, this one person didn't like it, but you're going to stop and read that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, journalists, I imagine I've had this conversation with Dad a lot, um, and spoken about how journalism in sport has changed. Like the landscape's changed right. incredibly. So he said when we played. We gave them stories. Like the journos had come in. Yeah. He goes, and we gave them stories and we gave them interviews and they knew stuff about us that probably wasn't favorable, but they didn't say anything, yeah. right? Because you'd, you'd give them a little bit yeah. and, and all those kind of things. And he said, you had two games on TV at most. So they had to fill columns about what happened at Penrith Park with Penrith versus Illawarra on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they actually had to write what happened in the game. Yeah. He said, that doesn't happen now. You can go on the app. And watch it live, That's stream right. it live. Anyone can watch any game at any time on demand. Mm. So everyone sees what happens. So if you're a journalist in rugby league or well, particularly rugby league, but any other sport as well, you don't have to fill columns with what happened. What happened yeah. because everyone knows what happened. I'm not going to read the paper about what happened at yeah. I don't know, the football stadium because I've already seen the game. Yeah. I know the result. I saw the controversial moments. 
So then they write about the extracurricular stuff that. <laughs> what a great way to put it. And yeah. It, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. And the gossipy stuff. Yeah. Because they need people to read. No, and I get that. Because yeah. I know that they've got a job, yeah, and they've got to get people to to read their articles and click on their links and all those kind of things, and that that's just the nature of what it is now, right? So you've just got to accept that that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, let's let's use another magic wand, and and if you could go to any game with anyone in the world, who would you go with? Is it any game rugby league? Any it can be any game rugby league with anyone you want. Oh, oh, probably. Probably want to go to uh, with my grandfather, who passed away. Like he was really, uh, really. Oh, I'd find that the sort of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so right. he play, he played uh, a few games at Para first grade, and he was very. He was a prince. Uh, sorry, a school teacher, and very much my way of the highway. And I, I would like to think that I reckon some of my refereeing has come from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a really big influence, uh, and yeah, it'd be great to sort of. Have him at any of my games, yeah, because well, um, he didn't get to see any. So, yeah, any of those, yeah. And what do you think? I mean, he, he you think the first thing he would talk about is your demeanor on field? Yeah, my oh, he'd be home. a harsh critic. Yeah, we well, said your dad was trash, so I'd like to see what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, he, he, but he was pretty honest, right? Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, he he would say the same thing, yeah. I, I think, and he'd be very much about just stick to your guns. Yeah, um, very strong like that, strong willed. Yeah, yeah, great. I'd I'd go with Jared Maxwell, and I'd want to sit in the bunker because I just love one. I love his voice, and I'm obsessed with match day official communication. Whenever they put that on, um, the the one that the Badgers do, I love listening to it. Is that going to be as fun as it sounds? Uh, it's pretty intense in the bunker. Yeah. It's, when you walk in there, it's really sterile, right? It's a really sterile environment because. It's it's a studio, it's a TV studio, and as you know, they're pretty they're quiet places generally. Um, but once the game's happening, they also know that, and everyone at home, once the decision comes to the bunker, like it's all on you. Yeah, right. It's not run of the play. If you make a full pass call on the field, things move on. Mm. But in the bunker, it's like everyone just stops and turns and looks at you and waits yeah. and expects perfection. <laughs> yeah, right. Always expects perfection. the The bunker system is way better than the old video referee system right. ever was, and we get so much more right than what we used to. Um, I'll give you a secret. These Nick's names this year has become caps lock because the way he talks. <laughs> <laughs> He always He's talks constantly in, reading that. We have a decision. Yeah. We're like, well, why are you in caps lock all the time? I don't know if I'm supposed I to say that. it out loud, but he, um, yeah. Oh, and Jared, Jared's sort of taken on that role this year, and, and he's been in a lot of uh, a lot of the big games, and and they've become look, they've become a real whipping boy uh, yeah. f- for fans, yeah, because they do it. They expect perfection, and you know what? The technology is unreal, mm. but ultimately, you've still got humans making that decision and, yeah. and they're doing what they think is best mm. and no one goes out to get it wrong. No. And the other thing about that is I wonder if we had more stuff. The thing you said about humans is a really interesting thing. I wonder if we had more stuff about referees as people. Do you think that would ha- help curb the culture thing behind it? Oh, possibly. But the thing is people are not that interested. Yeah. Okay. And that with the podcast, or, oh, I, was, I do think that there's – an important avenue to get that out. Yeah, the story behind why people have got to where they are and yeah. why they do what they do. Um, but effectively, people don't care. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. It's it's a bit like 
the good news story. Where yeah, people, right. They don't. It's a, it's a nice story. Yeah. Right? And they don't want to know the nice story. Mm. They want to know the, the trashy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Caps lock. That's my favourite. Um, the other thing that I just remembered is that I've been calling Cameron Murray, Campbell Murray all year because I think it sounds better. And I know it's a small mistake, but I think Campbell Murray sounds perfect. Well, Wayne Bennett did it. He did, and so did you. Because I was listening to a game where Campbell Murray, and I'm just going to stick with that now, has a bleeding nose or something like that in the game, Uh and we're just about to go to a scrum, and you called time off and went, we're just waiting because Campbell Murray's bleeding. And I only know that because I love hearing that name so much that my ears went, oh, my God, Grant Atkins is also calling him that. Paused it, rewound it, listened to it again. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's all right. Maybe that was actually would have been in Auckland. Maybe that's why Wayne called him that that (laughs) night. It was the same night. It was contagious. Yeah. Okay, now and now finally, mate. Let's reflecting back on your career, international games, the club matches, Penrith, the Queen, Origin, all those things. What's been your greatest rugby league memory to date? Uh, oh, it'd be the World Cup final. Yeah, for sure. It was something. It was the highest achievement I'd ever had at that stage. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things where you do you do feel like you're representing. You're local, like you're representing Penrith referees even. Yeah, really. Um, but you're in a place you'd never been before in front of 70,000 fans. It was Australia New Zealand um, in a place that like most people in sport know, mm. um, particularly through Man United and things like that. So it was just one of those moments where you sort of stand there and you go, you know what, this is pretty special. And that's 2013. So mm. there's been a lot in between. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said before, you remember moments um, I did an did an Origin line that year, and don't know. I think it was a game with a streaker, right? Oh wow! So, yeah, so that was that was um. A you great, remember moments? I yeah. do remember that moment. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that moment, but I don't know the result. Yeah, probably um, Queensland, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, just little things like that. But I think the World Cup one was big, and yeah, hopefully. And so you're doing that reflecting during the national anthem, or when, when yeah, do you just yeah. stop and go? Well, you know what you, well, I do. I don't know about other guys, but I lost that feeling of getting uh, butterflies right before games, and probably because you know that you got you're out there to do a job, yeah, right. Uh, but you also get to a point where you do tests, and it's during the anthems is when you get the the shivers, yeah, right. And it's not even Australian anthem; like it could be any anthem, yeah, because it's time where People are proud, like that game in Avignon with 17,000, they're all French. Yeah. So French National Anthem starts, and I only broke into All You Need Is Love by the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, from any people that don't know, that that's obviously at the start of that song. Um, but it's those times where, and you're with colleagues, and they're like in their special appointments yeah. where you get to stand, you run out and you stop, and the game hasn't started. Yeah. And the crowd's standing, and I think particularly even that Cardiff game, the, the debut was um, like God Save the Queen. Like it's full of English fans. Yeah. It's like this is cool. Yeah, wow. Like, this is cool, and they're they're really cool moments. Yeah, and so then, what what has what has kept you with rugby league for so long? What why do you, what does it have that has made you love it for such a long period of time? Oh, but, well, the game. I actually enjoyed the game itself mm-hmm. um, as a sport. I think the way it's played in the contest and how it can sort of fluctuate and like it's really it's a combative sport yep. and it's a passionate sport um and i think it's through the passion that's created on the field but off the field that you end up with like the atmospheres that we spoke about at Campbelltown and yep. and overseas and 
it's not until you sort of get other sports where you're like, oh, yeah, this is quite enjoyable. Um, but there's a but. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those things that you, you love to do. And like I said, it, as soon as you finish, you just you want to go again. Right. Uh, if I could double up every week, I'd double up. Yeah, wow. Career would be shortened, but <laughs> um, yeah. And now that we're sort of we're speaking about it now, sort of can't wait for the next game. Yeah, right. Next game to go again. Well, um, thanks, mate. This has been great. great. Uh, that's all my questions and comments. You got any comments you want to throw in? Oh no. Yeah. No. They, um, Your girls have been great. Yeah, they're pretty good kids. <laughs> Um, well, thanks. Thanks for this. Also, thanks, Mercho, for being our wonderful producer. Thanks also to Andrew Ferguson, whose Rugby League project helped me with a bunch of the stats. Enjoy your sport for another week and do yourself a favour. Don't ref's fault. Talk to you then, sports best friends. Well, that trickles down, right? If you referee well, then the game should go well. So Yeah. 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 Oh, and some, you know what? Sometimes you referee poorly. And no one says anything. <laughs> and this is the reality of it, right? Where commentary and broadcast will make a deal out of something and you you could referee fine, but then they'll make a big deal out of something. Right. There's times when you'll referee poorly and no one says anything. Right. You could referee poorly on a Saturday 3 o'clock game.